On this special edition of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast, we have a recording from Jeff and Florence Sackinger speaking to the next generation, which consisted of men and women ages 20 to 35 years old. Jeff and Florence have over 30 years of experience in the ministry and an incredible wealth of faith and wisdom. They talked about the history of our family of churches, discussed topics like dating and marriage, kingdom and the church, the mission, and discipling. Thanks for joining us for this podcast, and we pray this encourages you and calls you higher as we strive to be the people God has called us to be. All right, so anyway, let me read this song because this explains why we're here. This is Psalm 145, beginning of verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He is compassionate on all he has made. All your works praise you, O Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom, and they speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Amen. So we're, we're here to basically just share with you and talk with you mm-hmm. and, uh, and just share some things that, that we've learned. So we've been, Florence and I both have been disciples for 35 years. Uh, I was baptized in May of 85. She was baptized in April of 85. She was 24. I was 28. So we're probably right around the age of a lot of you guys right now. And in those 35 years of being in the church, we've seen a lot. Yep. And we've learned a lot. We've experienced a lot. And it's not all been perfect. <clears throat> and it's not all been glorious, but it's all been useful. Yep. You know, we learn from the, from the bad as, as well as the good. And uh, we've witnessed God do some very, very amazing things in 35 years. We've seen God do amazing things with people in terms of lives change, but we also have seen God do amazing things through people. And so we want to share some of those thoughts with you today and, uh, and get your thoughts as well. Yeah, we just, um, first of all, I want to say thank you guys for being here, that we really respect you. You know, and that's, you, you share what you've learned with those that you respect because I, I believe you want to hear it. Um, and that's why you're here. Uh, we respect your faith, your discipleship, your commitment, uh, your willingness to be here. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're not sharing things because we're perfect. We're not sharing things because our walk is, you know, more special than We yours. haven't arrived anywhere. We're, no. we're as much a work in progress as That's you right. are, right. which may not be very encouraging to you. But <laughs> right. After but, 35 years, we're still trying to figure this yes. out too, but that's right. okay because we're all in this together. That's right. And so, you know, but we see from the Bible actually that we are commanded by God, commanded to pass on to you. And we just felt like, yeah, we can have one-on-one conversations, but as we've talked more to the Genovas and Joel and Lolly, they were like, you need to do this because we've got so many ways we've watched God work in our own personal lives, how we've watched him work in the church. 
uh, and through our faith, things that have built our faith so that, you know, we're at this place now and we just we want to encourage you guys and, and mm. share that with you. Um, and we're along the journey with you. We're just maybe a little further ahead. Again, not better uh, at all, but just we've been able to see God work for many more years. Mm. And so we just want to give that to you because, you know, it's hard even for us to think that one, you know, we will not be here one day. And really the church will be in your hands. And that makes me emotional mm. because I want to make sure I'm passing this on to faithful hands. Hands that really want to uh, continue to build God's church in his kingdom. And I believe that's your heart. And, and that's why we want to share. It's not to puff ourselves up or say, hey, look what God did with us. But humbly to say, please take this and, and, and learn from it and use it and glean from it and, and then rise up to be uh, who really I believe God God wants you all to be. So, Amen. And as we're going through this, if you have any questions, I want to urge you to write them down because we're going to try to move through this conversation not super quickly, but with enough time that you can ask some questions mm -hmm. and, uh, and share some thoughts at the end. So mm -hmm. we're not going to keep you here all, all afternoon, I promise you that. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to pray right now and then we're going to dive in. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for giving us the kingdom uh, of which I am so grateful for. And I know those here are, they feel the same way. I pray that you be with us uh, this afternoon as we talk with each other, that we can all live, leave here today with a better understanding of who you are and what we are a part of, so that we never for a moment consider leaving it, but that we consider for many moments how we can build it up. Yes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I want to give you first a little bit of a history of us and our early years in the kingdom. And then we're going to kind of move out of that fairly quickly into where we are today. And some things that I think would be really important for you guys to know moving, moving forward. So let me give you a little bit of our story. How did we end up here in 1985? Now, I realize there's probably not a single person except us that were here in 1985. <laughs> but 1985 is when we came into the kingdom. And uh, we had very worldly lives. Uh, when we, uh, so I met Florence in 1979. And that's when we started dating. And uh, she was 18, I was 22. And uh, we dated for six years before we were exposed to the kingdom of God in a very, very worldly, um, I wouldn't say it was a bad relationship. We thought it was, you know, good at the time, but compared to what we know now, it was a very sinful and very bad relationship with no direction, no understanding, no real sense of purpose. We were just living for the moment uh, back in those times. I was pursuing music as a career uh, full time as I went to college for and was working in New York as a musician, which was a very difficult thing to do. And I was really struggling with it, trying to figure out, is this really what I want to do? Is this something I can do? And uh, living in Long Island at the time, really trying to wrap my brain around what is the meaning of life, reading psychology books, uh, even dabble a little bit in Dianetics, if you're familiar with L. Ron Hubbard and that whole world. And so I was looking for something, knowing that where I was, and even with our relationship, was not it. There was something very much missing. This is going into like the beginning of 1985. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, like Jeff shared, you know, we, we, were, we had a very successful life. Our life looked really great to a lot of people, but we were both really um, yearning inside for so much more. And um, so we were, I, I like to look at it like we were successful, but very lost um, and very worldly. And uh, just so grateful that God placed disciples in our lives. I had disciples that moved next door that I was inviting to all my worldly parties and trying to hook them up 
with girls and I'm sure they were praying many prayers for me. So, um, you know, I'm very grateful. They, per they persevered with me and kept asking me to come to church and um, asking me to, to, to study the Bible. And I, I finally did and became a disciple. And that's a whole other story for another yes. time. Yes. But um, I'm just very grateful that God was patient uh, with me and, and patient with us mm -hmm. in our relationship. Um, and, and then to, to think about that we've been together for 41 years is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. And how God, you know, God uh, intervened at, a, at, a, at the perfect time. And that's, that's how God works. Right. So why church? Why God? And what attracted us to this church? Because the church in 1985 was very different than the church in 2020. And the church in New York City was about 250 people. So at the most. At the most. So picture like maybe just a little bigger than the Southern Connecticut Church. And at its height, it went up to thousands. I don't know where it is right now. It's probably not that different. But uh, there was really nothing that physically attracted me to the church. It mm -hmm. was the, the music was old acapella songs from a, an old songbook. Uh, <laughs> but what attracted me physically, spiritually, was that a lot, I saw a lot of young people. There were a lot of people around my age at that time, in their mid-20s, kind of your age. And uh, Steve Johnson was preaching at the time. A lot of you don't know who that is, but he was leading the church at that time. And the message was very relevant and very real. And even though I initially was very opposed to church, and she started before I did, she started coming in the end of 84. Uh, I started coming uh, at the beginning of 85. And uh, I was very much opposed to her studying the Bible. And I, I was probably her biggest persecutor. Yeah. And I gave her a really hard time because of the changes in our relationship that I was not happy about. And so I fought it for the longest time. And, uh, and then finally she coerced me to come to church one day, uh, which I agreed, reluctantly agreed to come and do. And then she told me that church service was like two hours. I'm like, how on earth could church possibly last two hours? Because <laughs> I, I didn't grow up going to church. So I'm thinking like, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you're in, you're out. And that's that's got to be it, right? And But when I met some of the guys in the church and I realized the, how genuine they were and real they were, and when I began to study the Bible, and I, I realized that through going through the Bible studies, this was the thing I was missing. Forget the psychology books. Forget the psychology right. today, you know, a subscription I had. Forget the dynamics. Forget all of that. Because what I was looking for was God. Mm -hmm. And what I was looking for was not just denominational church, but I was looking for a very sincere walk with God. And, and she felt the same way. She was ahead of me. And all the things I was giving her a hard time about, I now began to see as reality and being real and something that was going to be valid for the both of us. Right. And we were engaged at this time. So we were engaged in the world. We were somewhat, again, this is a much longer story. This will maybe be part three, but how we actually navigated through that. But we were engaged when we came in and uh, we met with Stephen Lisa Johnson, who, uh, decided to not break up our engagement, which would have maybe typically been done, but they had enough faith and vision in us that we see your hearts and your love for God and we think we can work with this. So we were baptized in the spring of 85, married in the fall of 85. We were the first couple married in the New York church, of which now there are, you know, I don't know, countless numbers about. But we knew what we were getting into. We knew what we were looking for. We were looking for God, we're looking for sincerity, we're looking for genuine worship, we're not looking for anything and no pop and circumstance. I didn't really care what the music was like. And I was working full time as a musician in New York and I didn't care about the music. Even though I loved the music and I was part of the worship, but I didn't come in critical, oh, it's not this or it's not that or I want more of this kind of music. 
I was glad I was singing praises to God and learning about, about God. So yes. that's, that's what we came into. We, we found it. Mm-hmm. Now, let me talk a little bit about the church for a moment, what it was like in those early years. So it was small. The fellowship was small, right? So now we have a worldwide fellowship. And you can go on Disciples Today, and there's like hundreds of churches in all these nations. Do you know how many churches were in our fellowship in 1985? Does, does anybody know? Yes. Fifty-three. There were three. Three. There were three. There was New York, Chicago, and London. Wow. Those are the only churches in our fellowship. No, Boston. Boston. And Boston, yes. Boston, Chicago, New York. London came later. Right, London came later. Right, at the time it was that. That's right, that was the plan to later. So it was Boston, New York, and Chicago. That was our fellowship. And so we all felt a tremendous burden for the kingdom to grow. Mm-hmm. And that was probably one of the most important parts of the, the, the culture back then was this this vision to grow the church this vision to help people become christians right and to help the new york city church to grow mm-hmm. yeah i was just going to say that one of the things that i remember like jeff said was just the authenticity um and that they could explain the scriptures and that everything was about jesus mm-hmm. and it was sincere and also sacrificial the girl that studied the bible with me um, she would travel from Brooklyn to the Upper West Side to study the Bible with me. And I'll never forget, she had holes in the bottom of her shoes. She just was so sacrificial. Uh, she was living on so little to be able to, she was self-supporting herself to be able to do ministry. And, um, and she just loved me into the kingdom. And I'm, I'm, that sacrificial, sincere authenticity uh, really drew me and, and gave me a vision of who I wanted to be. Um, and again, you know, especially with my background, I was in theater, I was a singer and a dancer, and then knowing that there was only three churches, that really uh, made my pursuing of shows a little bit more difficult. So now, to seek first God's kingdom, what if I get a show and it brings me way over here? How am I going to do that? I can't, I, I won't be around disciples. So it was a huge sacrifice. I had to count the cost that um, I couldn't do certain shows, there were certain things I couldn't do, uh, if it was going to mean seeking first God's kingdom. And, we just took that very seriously because we knew the only way there'd be more than three churches is that we all really sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the time I was working full-time as a musician in and around New York, New Jersey, and places, and I had to really count the cost. Is this something I can even really continue knowing what a worldly environment was? it was? But I appreciated uh, people like Steve and Lisa Johnson who really inspired us to, to take those talents and, and put them to use. And that's when we began the... Uh, we call it the daytime zone at the time. It was the first arts and entertainment ministry in, in our fellowship. And we began a ministry for artists and musicians and people in theater. And it was really great to be able to see that we can have a strong faith in God. We can have strong convictions about right. morality and purity and righteousness. But at the same time, be in this entertainment field. And I think one of the things that really helped us, even with that, was that the, the, the culture through the church at that time was about studying the Bible with people. I think we heard about that all the time. And you know what? I don't know of anybody back then who wasn't in on a Bible study. Everybody was studying the Bible. There were so many studies going on. And, and baptisms and fruit was literally every week. And the church was growing rapidly. But that was just our culture. We, we looked around and we were in a city of 18 million people with a church of a couple hundred people. And we knew the only way that we were gonna have an impact was we have to get out there and we need to do something with this. Mm-hmm. So that was just a way of life. And one particular week, we had 106 baptisms in one week. 
in the New York church because everybody was engaged. Yep. The, the idea that I'm a disciple and I haven't studied with somebody in weeks or months was virtually unheard of. Yeah. Everybody felt that, that, and it wasn't a pressure. It wasn't a pressure, an external pressure. It was an internal pressure. I need to do something with this. It was such a sense of this is who we are. That's right. And we, we, just, we, just, we just got that. We, we, we understood that clearly. Yeah. I'm just going to share a few memories that I have just of that time. I'll never forget that week. Where we baptized 106 people in one week. Uh, I was, uh, I had a small child at the time. Um, we had fasted for a month during that time. I had never done that. Um, uh, I don't know what I weighed by the end of that month, but we just were always desperate to really cry to God because we knew that in our own power we could not do this. And I'll never forget, we our region was the 106 woman squished into our bathtub. <laughs> And all the water would go, we would baptize people and all the water would flood my bathroom in the apartment in New York. And that was just like, you felt like privilege that you got to do that. Um, and we'd have people stand on the toilet to be able to, you know, take their confession. Um, I also remember just all night prayers. We just prayed all night and just constantly I crying, about that. <laughs> crying out to God. Uh, but also too, we were stretched beyond, um, we, we just stretched ourselves in ways that now I look back and I think we were crazy. Um, I was pregnant. Uh, and we would go preach on the streets and in the subways. Yep. And um, I'm sure I looked ridiculous um, being pregnant and talking to them about God. And but we just and I would there were so many times that there was, you know, I would be afraid because I'd be standing there and we, we would sing first and then we'd invite people to church. And I would see people from my class, my ballet class or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that part of me that wanted to back away and hide and not let them see me, you know, but it pushed us to, to get rid of that. that mm -hmm that uh, wanting to hold back and, and be ashamed of the gospel. Mm. I can't say a lot of people became Christians because of our preaching, but it really, I was not ashamed then to talk to the person next to me on the subway. Yeah. That was like a breeze then. <laughs> and so, you know, again, I don't know how effective it was, but in our minds, we just wanted to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. Mm. And nobody ever, it wasn't like this came from some on high. Nobody said, no. this is what you need to do. We just decided. It was just the culture. <laughs> it's just what we all did we really felt that that inner pressure that this thing needs to really take off and so there was also within that church culture a real sense of commitment to the body and the idea of somebody missing church whether it was a midweek or a Sunday was was really pretty foreign like you pretty much knew when you went to church that you're gonna see your brothers and sisters there I mean barring some emergency or but pretty much there was a sense that we need each other right and you know we're 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 in New York City which is a very challenging mission field and it was not comfortable at all like Florence said and so you got the sense of when we got to come to church that was like the highlight of the week yep. when you got to come and see your brothers and sisters and give them hugs and share your stories and the other thing that was important about coming to church is because because evangelism was such a big part of who we were you knew that every Sunday there's going to be a load of visitors. And you, you wanted your brothers and sisters to meet your guests, right? So that, friends, so that yeah. so your friends. And so we could, we could all be like share with each other, help each other. So when you went to church, it wasn't just for the sermon. You went there because you were going to meet everybody's guests. And the fellowship was always buzzing with, with new people. Hey, meet this, this person, meet that person. 
and setting up times to get together and new Bible studies to be set up. And we go to Dallas Barbecue, which is on 72nd and Broadway. We everybody go down there for lunch. And I mean, that's just what we did. It was just like week after week after week. And you know, service was a time to learn too, especially in the midweek, because it was a lot of young Christians. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us didn't know what we were doing, but we knew we loved God. And so we would go to midweek, and that was your time to dig into the Bible and learn, and, and Sundays to learn. And it was just, it was gold for us. It was yes. everything. One of the things that I think that I have a couple of memories I'll just share. One of the things I'm so grateful for that, like Jeff said, we, we knew so little, so we knew we had to learn, and we had to learn fast. And uh, as young Christians, we memorized 49 scriptures in, uh, I think it was two, two, two to three months. We had midweek every week. And we called it an equipping class, and it was learning how to study the Bible with people, the studies that we do. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it was like a college-level course <laughs> going through. It was grueling, but everybody felt like, that's what I need if I'm going to be effective at this. Right, right. And so the other memory I have is just how important our small groups were. Mm -hmm. um, there was one that we led that uh, one of the brothers, we were on the Upper West Side, and he was on the other end, and he used to, he was a Marine. He would run all the way up, then I would feed him dinner, and then we'd have small group together. It was really family. And I have another memory of just, I was actually leading two small groups at the time, training one sister to lead a women's one, and then we had a co-ed one together. Uh, and I think Fred was actually, Mr. Goodman was Fred in that Goodman, one yep. at that point. Um, but anyway, I have a memory of going down to the women's Bible talk, and then I got on the train, and actually going down to the train, I got mugged. Mm -hmm. And um, on the, and I could, the crazy thing was I couldn't wait to get home because I knew my small group was waiting there for me and could encourage me. It was like, just, we were just family. We were there for each other, and those groups were super important. Yeah, I mean, we would do things like, I would, um, I would put on a suit during like a business day, like between 12 and one o'clock, and I would go down to the World Trade Center. And I would spend about two hours with a business suit on, walking around, meeting all the businessmen who were dressed like that, who were on their lunch breaks. And I would, I was a poser, right? So I would pose as a businessman and I would go down just so that I could be relatable and I would just walk around with church invitations and just talk to people. And then when they all went back to work, I'd go home and change again. <laughs> and then I would also go, uh, there were a lot of disciples that worked uh, in different parts of New York. And uh, we had a Bible talk that met on the steps of the New York Public Library. And we would meet uh, about 30 minutes prior. This was also during noon. And we would, we would fan out and we would invite everybody we could find around the steps of the library during the summertime. And then we'd say, hey, we're going to have a, a Bible discussion over here at 1230. Do you want to come? And we did that several times a week. I mean, that was just, that was just what you did. So we were, we were really devoted to mm -hmm. whatever the kingdom needs. That's what we're going to do. That was an important thing. Let me talk a little about leadership, too, because this was another thing. There was, because the church is growing so quickly, there was a huge need for leadership. The staff at the New York Church was not very big, so we needed a lot of volunteer leaders. And so to be a Bible talk leader, which would be like a community group leader today, to be a Bible talk leader, what we called the small group back then, that was a really big deal. I mean, it was an honor. It was an honor to be made a Bible talk assistant. I mean, that was like, are you serious? Do you think I can do it? Yeah, you can do it, and then maybe you can be a Bible talk leader one day. Wow, really? I mean, it was like a huge thing. We had, a, we had a training every week, yep. but everybody wanted to be a Bible talk leader because they knew, we all understood, that means that I get to engage more. Right. That means that I'm gonna have people coming over to my apartment and I'm gonna have a small discussion group with the people right in my neighborhood. Right. So we had so many Bible talks. 
now it's difficult to find people that even want to lead a Bible study. Forget about a Bible talk. So that's right. where we're going to talk about that in just a few moments here when we get into where we are now. But the culture was, if I can help the church to grow, yep. then I'll do it. Yep. And, and those Bible talks were great. Everybody loved their Bible talk and was glad to be in it. Yes. Okay, so let me talk a little bit more about relationships now back in our early years. The friendships that we built in the kingdom in those days are like nothing I've ever seen. We are still friends with people that we knew 30 plus years ago, and they're all over the world now. We have friends in all corners of the globe that we knew back in New York that we still keep up with, that we still talk with. And it gets back to what that culture was. I talk about this a lot. That church culture was, these are your real friends. Yes, you still have friends in the world, but the friends you have in the world now are people that you can try to influence for the gospel. And so when we became Christians, all of our old friends were now targets <laughs> for, for our evangelism in a good way, right? It's not like if they didn't want it, we just dropped them. But it's like I remember thinking through, who do I know? But, but building those friendships mm -hmm. was so, so important. I mean, just everybody had, everybody had a circle of close friends. And everybody had a discipling partner. Discipling was a really big deal back then. I don't know of anybody that I can think of back then that was not connected to somebody else in a discipling relationship. I don't know if I can say that today, but back then it was just a given that you had a discipling partner and that person didn't own you, control you, dominate you, much like what you might've heard. That was your buddy. That was somebody you could pray with, talk with, get advice from, get input from, just build a closer relationship with. And you really, you relish that relationship. And sometimes that would change. Okay, you'd have somebody else. But everybody knew the importance of having that level of relationship yep. because we all wanted to grow and we all wanted to be our best. Mm -hmm. and we all knew we need help in this thing. The only thing I want to add with that is just what, what I have a memory of is um, how many different women I got to know. Because sometimes we think somebody can only mentor us or disciple us if they're like us. And back then it was like, well, you know what? We are extremely opposite and we are going to learn so much from each other. And I have so many great relationships where I, I would not have gained what I could have gained uh, if I had not allowed myself to have relationships with people that were different, kind of like what Joel was talking about today. Mm. So back then, this is like the early or mid 80s on into maybe the, the early 90s. The church was predominantly singles. There were very few Marys. We were the first couple married in the church. There were some married couples in the church, but not a lot. So it was a huge, heavy, heavy, heavy singles-oriented ministry. And so one of the things that was a big part of the culture was the purity in dating. Because we knew that the only way that we're going to maintain the integrity of the gospel was to make sure that the dating relationships that we have are really strong and, and biblical and spiritual mm -hmm. and so purity righteousness the focus and the respect for each other those were things that we all grabbed hold of we all knew this has got to be different right if we're dating just like we did in the world or if we're dating like the way everybody else around us is dating then we are not going to be very very uh, respectful of God and people will not see us in any other light than they do anybody else anywhere else That's right. yeah. so we began this practice of, of, of dating certainly dating within the kingdom only dating within the church 
so that we could see that period, that we could have that, hey, we're on the same page. We understand who we are. We understand what we're about. We understand what we, we, what we came into. And nobody wanted to date anybody outside of the church because out there, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Or you do know because you came out of that and you don't want to get back into that. And so we help each other tremendously to understand the righteousness of dating and patience and trusting God and getting input and getting, giving glory to, to, to God and, and being, being a light to the world. That was such a big part. And for the brothers, the brothers really took ownership mm-hmm. of, of what this needs to be. And I really appreciated the brothers back then and the brothers today as well. I appreciate you guys. But just knowing that if I'm going to be dating these sisters, I'm not talking about just steady dating, just any kind of dating, that I'm going to treat them with respect and with honor. And I'm going to treat them with the respect and the honor that they need. I need to treat them special because they are special. And everybody got that. And everybody took their time and was patient and dated each other quite a bit to encourage one another. And, you know, you were probably going to find the one that, that was the one. But along the way, it's like we want to really do this in a way that gives glory to God yes. and not just plow through this and have nothing that looks like the world. Amen. I'm good. You good with that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, also, missions was a really important thing to us. So because it was only three churches, the, uh, the idea of being behind world missions was huge. Yep. And so we had a missions contribution every year. And it was usually some really ridiculous multiple, like Max talked about last week. It was 10 times your weekly contribution, 15 times your weekly contribution. And we all knew it was coming every year. And so we sacrificed and we sacrificed. Now, we don't do quite that uh, anymore. Uh, We do ask people to give. Now we ask you to give $365. It's a dollar a day. Back then, it was way more than that. But back then, we saw the, 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 the teams being sent out. We saw the plantings. We saw the church growing, and everybody felt a sense of responsibility that if we don't do it, who will? That's right. I just want to share a few memories. Um, you know, with missions, uh, we had the honor of hosting some of the teams, like the team that went to Korea, and the team that went to Moscow was hosted, and we, we threw a dinner for them in our home. And um, so you were just very involved. Uh, we constantly in our prayers, we would pray things like, God, we have nobody in Siberia. Help me meet somebody from Siberia. You know, in, this, in New York, you could meet people from every country. So you would be praying for people from other countries. And when you would study the Bible with them, you're like, you know, I studied with a girl, she was from Malawi. And it was like, please God, help her become a Christian. She can go back to Malawi and save her people. That was just our attitude. Mm. We sold everything. We sold, I think we sold all of our wedding gifts. Yep. Jeff sold his saxophone. That was the only way we were going to make our missions contribution. And <laughs> we wa- and we needed to make it. I mean, so, we just felt like, I got to do this. That's right. So, you know, again, it was, nobody told us. That was just our heart. Uh, we had garage sales, so we have nothing left. Mm. Uh, we've had people, they did rockathons. A sister rocked in a rocking chair and had people... <laughs> Uh, support her money for every hour. I mean, we just had to come up with crazy things. Uh, the thing that I'm very encouraged about was I have a memory of when my boys went to college and um, after they graduated as disciples and they were like, I get th- their first missions contribution. They were mm. like, I'm out of college and I can finally give up my first special missions. They were, you know, because now they had a real job. And I, I'm so grateful as a parent that they saw that was our culture, mm. even in our in our home. Yeah, so. 
And I, I have one other memory, and um, it was, I forgot what the year was, but I'm sure, I'm sure this will mean something to, to Jenny and Max. But I remember when the, when the Moscow mission yes. team went out. It's a brother from our Bible talk, wasn't yes. it? Yes, yep. yeah, Pete Cofield. Pete Cofield. And, um, yeah. I, re I think I might have studied with Pete but when he was in Westchester, but I can remember the Moscow team being up on the stage when we all met together in New York. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, we're going behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. And what a big deal that was. The kingdom mm -hmm. of God is going to Russia. Can you believe I, it? Yeah, yeah. And now we have Jenny and Max yeah, yeah, here. But it was just, those were like, you know, hair on the back of your, your, your neck and your arms, standing up moments to be able to see where we had come That's from. right. That's right. So the culture in everything, all the stuff we've talked about, in everything that we did was always seek the kingdom first and everything else will follow put God first and it will all come together right. so that was then what about now okay. so here we are it's not 1985 it's not 1991 it's 2020 about to be 2021 what about now okay. what have we learned in 35 years that would be most important to you you guys know now the things that were important to us and in those early developmental years, right. when we were your age, yep. and probably just about as old as you guys are Christians, some of you, what have we learned now? The kingdom of God really is everything. Yep. If I would sum it up in one sentence, I would say the kingdom of God really is everything. And I can say right. that after seeing the world and seen the kingdom for a long time. Yep. You cannot cut corners in anything that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. If you cut corners, mm -hmm. a big part of the kingdom of God erodes. Yep. And some things that erode never come back. Cutting corners will destroy the kingdom of God. Yep. You're always just a few bad decisions away from disaster. Yep. Whether it's with dating, whether it's seeking the kingdom, whether it's being in your Bible, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your relationships, you're a few bad decisions away from maybe getting yourself into something that is either very difficult to get out of or irreversible. That's why you've got to put God first in everything. The world will keep you wanting. Yep. The kingdom will keep you satisfied. Yep. Do not neglect it for anything. That's right. That's right. So with that in mind, I want to focus on a few areas that I think with you guys as the next generation, if you can keep yourselves tuned into and plugged into yeah. and focused on long after we're gone, Please. it will keep going. Please. And the church will continue uh -huh. to be something that gives glory to God. Uh -huh. Sherry, is there before we move on? No. Okay. Here's the first thing you got to keep in mind. Seek God first always. Yep. Seek God first always. Seek his face. Yes. Seek his wisdom. Seek his knowledge. Seek his grace. Yep. Seek his glory. Your time in the word. Your time in prayer. Mm -hmm. They can't be drive-bys. Mm -hmm. You will quickly lose whatever zeal you have and you won't come cl close to the zeal that we had in those earlier years. Yeah. You will be churchgoers right. if you just, if you just mm -hmm. make a drive-by out of your relationship mm -hmm. yep. with God. Yep. And you know what? You will, you will do poorly. Yep. 
you don't have time to to have a drive-by relationship with God. Satan is ever-present. Yeah. Right around the corner from where we are right now. You can't see him, but he's there. And the moment that heart becomes void of God, boom, Satan's right in there. You don't have time and you don't have the opportunity to let a day go by where you're doing poorly spiritually. You can't coast. You can't backslide. You can't take a day off. You can't take a vacation. I talked to a brother uh, this last week who I, I just haven't seen. He said, yeah, I'm just taking a little time off. I'm like, time off from what? How do you take time off from the kingdom of God? I don't get that. That's like taking time off from breathing. Yeah, I'm just not going to breathe for a while. How? So you've got to see God first in everything. The thing I want to share with you guys is that because what happens is when you are, you know, a a new disciple or a younger disciple, you don't always know the, the tough times that are ahead of you. I'm so grateful that in my younger years, I really learned the scriptures, made my why Jesus always. Jesus is why. John 12 was my favorite scripture, and it talks about, unless a kernel of wheat dies, you will not produce. So if I die, I will produce many seeds. The more I die to myself, the more glory will go to God. Honestly, I wouldn't have made it through tough times. We've been through a lot of tough times. I was a young Christian, and my mother died suddenly. I was a young Christian, and my brother died suddenly. You know, I lost a child. I've been through so many tough things as a disciple that I would have lost my faith if I had not taken those first years and really built a solid foundation. Because every time those things happened, I said, okay, so now why am I a disciple? Why am I doing this? I have that conversation with myself all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I want it to be that it's because of Jesus that I'm doing this. Because it's not going to always, the results aren't always there. You know, not every day is just glorious being a disciple. There's hard times. But if I built right, then I knew that I could I could build up and it would stay uh, stay solid. And so that that's my encouragement to you guys. Why? Why you're doing this, make sure it's for Jesus and make sure it's solid. Hmm. So that when those tough times hit, you don't you don't give up. And you're gonna have a lot of we moved in to Nashville in nineteen ninety one to lead to take over a church that was really struggling and major major issues and we went down there as seven-year-old christians to lead a church of about 400 people and having never led a church before we led regions in new york but this was like what (laughs) and so all we knew and we kept going back to this all we knew is to seek god first and so we leaned on that heavily through the almost five years that we were in nashville we just get into a rhythm the church is going well we get called back we had to come to new york and lead a ministry in westchester which was also really struggling and the leaders basically just left. And so the same thing, all we know is to lead on God. We've been in Connecticut now 20 years. We had to come here because of some other situations. Again, all we knew was to lean on God. We go through 2003 and if any of you remember what that's like, that was a very tumultuous time for our church. All we knew was to lean on God. You cannot take a day, you can't take a moment off leaning on God. We've learned that that is, that is super important. Yes. The second thing we've learned in these years is how important it is to embrace the relationships in the kingdom. Yeah. Do not take a single brother or sister for granted. And it's so easy to do because that's our human nature. But you gotta, you gotta kick that out. Mm-hmm. And you gotta, you gotta let the spiritual nature take over. <laughs> embrace the relationships. Embrace the discipling. 
Seek it out, the input, the advice. We still do it after 35 years. We haven't figured things out. I call Steve Kennard, I call Valder Koha, I call Mark Buckholtz, who's one of the elders in Boston a while ago because there was stuff I just didn't get that I needed to know. I mean, we still do it. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing it, you're really, really cutting a corner that you cannot afford to, to cut. Because yes. you cut that corner and the whole thing will slide off the table. Yes. Yes. Do not do that. Build strong, super great relationships. Yes. It will, those will carry you throughout the rest of your life. Right. And you never know. I want to encourage you with that. You never know how God is going to use them. A young couple that we discipled when we were, uh, this is years ago now, um, we had no clue that we would, we were building a relationship and you never know how those relationships are going to be there for you in the future. Their daughter is my daughter-in-law now. She's married to my son. We discipled her parents. Um, uh, Fiona's been going through a lot of things. There's a, there's a couple down in Georgia that the woman's, uh, one of the campus shepherds down there. Jeff and I studied the Bible with her and her husband years ago. Now she's able to be there for my daughter. You don't know who, who you know, your children might marry the person next to you's children and who's gonna, you know, you just don't know. Every friendship is so important. You don't know who's gonna be able to go through, like, let's say, uh, you know, Nori and Jeff go through a tough time with one of their children, but because of their relationship with Steve and Eunice, their child, you just have no clue yeah. how God is gonna work. I've seen it over and over again. My other daughter-in-law, I held. She ended up marrying my, I had no, you know, God is amazing. <laughs> what he will do. You don't so know I, where the relationships are going to go. You don't know where they're going to go. Mm. So build those relationships because you yep. don't know how God is going to use them in the future. Yeah, amen. Let me talk a little bit about dating now, okay? So I talked about what it was like back in the day, right? So I forgot the day. So here we are right now, right? We're in 2020. Things have changed. I know the whole concept of dating is different. I know you don't even like calling it dating. That's why we can call it whatever you want to call it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed, but you know what hasn't changed? The Bible standard, yeah. and that's, that's not going to change. The Bible standard is the same. You still need advice. You still need input. Right. You still need direction. You still need to be different yes. than any other dating relationship outside of that's the kingdom right. of God. That is right. so important. The church is full of great examples. So if you're, if you're single, which most of you are, and you're, you're, whether you're dating steady or you're just casually dating for encouragement, I really want to encourage you to seek out some of the, some of the younger marrieds that we have that dated in the kingdom that are maybe a little bit older now, like Wayne and Liz, Stan and Gisela, Jeff and Shannon. I mean, there's, there's more people that are like in their, their 40s now that really understand what that dating culture was like and are doing great now and have great solid marriages and and you know maybe have young kids now and have learned a lot because dating is something relationship building is something that we've got to make sure that we're, we're continually seeking God's input and God's example do not be like the world purity right. righteousness all those things are are just as relevant today as they were 35 years ago right. as they will be 35 years from now right, right, and right. so the example that you said now is important for that younger generations I've seen many disastrous examples over the years of people that failed to get advice and failed to get input and, and didn't think that dating in the kingdom was really any different than the world and they are they are casualties of the kingdom yeah. some have recovered some have not some have been able to stay and work through it others have just left 
but I've also seen tremendous success, successes. Be part of the success culture, not the failure culture. Yeah. I know it's hard to imagine because when you're young, it's very hard to sometimes see into the future. Um, but one of the things that has been the greatest joy of my life has been watching my children date and get married. Mm. My children be pure and get married. And you know, coming from a background where there wasn't purity, I wouldn't have known how to teach that if it wasn't for the kingdom. So remember that you're keeping that standard here so the next generation after you, because the teens are watching you guys. And so every generation is looking up and then you're to look up to that and we've got to keep that standard there. And I'm, I'm very uh, grateful for that. Do you want to talk about marriage for a second? Yeah, just okay. really quick, because I know there's a few married couples here, which is, which is awesome. Your marriages have to be different as well. As much as dating needs to be different, the marriages in the kingdom have always been one of the beacons of hope to the world because most marriages in the world fail. That's just a statistical fact. And if they don't fail as an ending in divorce, they end in failure in that they're just miserable. Right. But man, our, our marriages have to be different. Don't yes. be lazy. Always seek out input, advice, work hard at it. Your marriage is something that you can't just set it and forget it. No. You've got to really engage it all yes. the time yep. for yep. it to be great. I just, I, I know that we have great examples. I'm very encouraged by the marrieds that are here. Um, you know, just something that I know that's really helped us is always serve together, be hospitable together, um, and just making sure that that's really the focus because when you become, when the marriage almost becomes the focus, then that's when marriages start to suffer. It's, you know, when you give outside of your little marriage bubble, then that's when your marriage actually thrives. When you learn how to give together, make a meal and serve somebody together, um, that, then that goes for dating couples too. When, when your dating relationship just becomes about you, then it will easily become insular and selfish and go downhill. So it's really important that it's out, you think outside of yourself. Mm. Let me talk about the church for a moment. I think the key that I've learned in 35 years of being in the kingdom, if there was one word, it would be gratitude. If there's one thing that's going to keep you a part of this fellowship, it's gratitude. Think for a moment where you would be without this fellowship. Think where you would be without your salvation and without the body. And so really embrace that. You know, we just, we appreciated the church so much back then. I appreciate the church just as much, if not more now today, yes. 35 years later. And I have no intentions of ever stepping foot outside of the kingdom. Because yes. I am so grateful for what God has That's done. Right. Amen. Build it up. Support it. Sacrifice for it. Serve it. Be present. Mm -hmm. Church is not, again, it's not something you go to. It wasn't back then. It can't be now. You don't go to church. To church. You are the church. We talked about that all the time. So you've got to embrace it. You've got to invest yourself in it. Embrace it as your family. And if there's anything that you can do to help lift it up, then do whatever you can do to help lift yes, it up. Yes. What is your dream for the church? Mm. What is it, your dream spiritually? You know, I think it'd be great for somebody to be dreaming. Wow, you know, maybe one day, you know, um, my husband will be the, one of the elders in the church. You know, one day, you know, we're going to be able, we're going to lead the children's ministry. Or one day, you know, uh, we're going to be the ones that really help with missions. Or one day, we're going to... I just think you're having more dreams of what you can do. This is an incredibly talented group of people mm -hmm. here. You guys have so many gifts, so many talents. Just like, what can you do? Just start dreaming. Mm -hmm. And remember the mission to seek and save the lost. 
that was such a burning passion on our hearts. I don't know that I would say that that's the passion I see in the church today. Can we get there? Absolutely. It should not be just part of our past, but it should be part of our present and it needs to be part of our future. And so let's, let's revive that culture, that, that study culture, that I can't imagine being in the church and not studying the Bible with somebody. We need you guys to pick up the ball and run with it. Yeah. You're probably in the best position to do that. And I realize that everybody should, I get that. It's a little more challenging for some of the other Marys with, with young kids and families. It's, it's, it's limiting, not impossible. But for you guys, it's wide open. When we were where you guys are at now, it was, it was such a part of our lives. Make it a part of your lives. Yes, amen. That's really, really amen. key. Let's restore that study culture. Amen. I'm going to say one thing and then maybe we should Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to share that I, all I can think about is the parable of the lost coin and how the woman swept the house until she found that coin. And I think if we can get that culture back of just sweeping until we can find those people that want to know God um, and just praying more bold prayers. I know for myself, I'm convicted. I need to pray more bold prayers. And I think back when I was younger, I prayed so many bold prayers um, to see people become Christians. And uh, too many stories to go into. That's another time. Mm. But just, I think, just praying boldly for God to lead hearts to you as you're trying to sweep and find those lost coins. Yeah. I mean, today was just over a week. We could probably do 10 of these, 20 of these, stories. with stories on every single thing that we've talked about. Maybe Pat will convince us to do some sort of podcast about that because we can, we can elaborate on this stuff forever, but we're going to stop right now. But let me just re- remind you of this. There is a generation that has eyes fixed on you. You don't know it, but it's there. It's the teens. It's the preteens. They're, they're all grappling right now as to whether or not this is real and they will key off everything you do so be that example of what the thriving kingdom of god thriving disciple looks like and if you do that then our generation to your generation to their generation so on and so forth will will ensure that ensure the, the 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 longevity and the health of the church amen so This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.